The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. This is the beginning of a Russian invasion of Ukraine, as he indicated and asked permission to be able to do from his Duma. This is a flagrant violation of international law and demands a firm response from the international community. U.S. President Joe Biden and Western allies taking aim at Russia, imposing a raft of sanctions targeting the Kremlin and those close to it, whilst rising tensions spook markets sending the S&P into correction. Well, Germany freezes the Nord Stream 2 pipeline as part of the coordinated response to Moscow, triggering the former Russian President Dmitry Medvedev to warn of spiraling gas prices. It is the necessary administrative legal step to ensure that no certification of the pipeline can now take place. And without the certification, Nord Stream 2 cannot go into operation at all. The EU slapped sanctions on 351 members of the Russian parliament and 27 more people and entities it accuses of undermining Ukraine's sovereignty. This package of sanctions that has been approved by unanimity by the member states will hurt Russia and it will hurt a lot. And Rio Tinto reports record full year results amid surging commodity prices, with the mining giant CEO saying the balance sheet is the strongest it's been in at least 15 years. A very good morning to you. So let's get straight into the top stories. The US and its allies have moved swiftly against Russia, unleashing a salvo of initial sanctions targeting the Kremlin's biggest institutions and individuals as they accuse Vladimir Putin of beginning an invasion of Ukraine. Russia's largest financial institutions, including VEB and its military bank, as well as society elites, are amongst the first tranche of sanctions, the US also targeting Russia's sovereign debt. The president, Mr Biden, stressed the need for close coordination with allies and partners, including with Germany, on Nord Stream 2. We've cut off Russia's government from Western financing. It can no longer raise money from the West and cannot trade in its new debt on our markets or European markets either. Starting tomorrow and continuing in the days ahead, we'll also impose sanctions on Russia's elites and their family members. They share in the corrupt gains of the Kremlin policies and should share in the pain as well. And because of Russia's actions, we've worked with Germany to ensure Nord Stream 2 will not, as I promised, will not move forward. Russia now recognizes expanded territories in the breakaway regions of Donbass. President Putin referenced the 2014 borders of Luhansk and Donetsk as significant extension of the more recently defined boundary. The move would include the key strategic port city of Mariupol in separatist territory. The area could be used to create a land corridor between Russia, the separatist territories and annexed Crimea. Russia's upper house has rubber-stamped authorization for President Putin to use military force outside the country. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky noted the irony of Russia's denials leading up to the moves on the Donbass region. The Russian statement 
we're not here, has now been replaced with the official statement, we're here in the end, that was accepted unanimously at the highest political level. It makes it clear who wants peace and who wants a repartition of the territories. Right, they were very well behaved markets yesterday actually. They did decline as you would expect, but a lot of things you thought would happen did happen, but didn't go further than that. For instance, volatility indicators uh, moving up as you'd expect, but not going into extreme territory as well. Equity markets going down, but again, just being a continuation of previous trends rather than uh, more aggressive moves. For instance, the Dow is now down seven out of eight of the last sessions, Four out of four of the last sessions as well. Dow was down 482 points. Uh, sectors, the biggest to the downside. Consumer discretionary actually was down 3%. All 11 out of 11 subsectors in the US were down. The S&P 500, I'll just note here, is down into correction territory. Correction being 10% uh, from the most recent 52-week high, 10% lower. Uh, I should say to you, though, that other indices, such as the Russell 2K and indeed the Dow Transports, are within a whisper, within a decimal of being in bear market territory. Now, where correction is down 10% from that 52-week high, bear market is down 20%. So with the Russell 2K down 19.5% off most recent records and the Dow Transports off 19.2%, you can see the depths of some of those decline. And if you pick some of those very familiar technology names uh, that we've been talking about a lot under a lot of pressure, uh, they remain under enormous pressure. Uh, and as do some of the investors in them. I was looking at ARC uh, Innovation Fund. That remains uh, solidly under pressure around about 63 bucks now let's have a look at us russia exposed stocks as well uh, and here we've got a whole host of names you'll notice that a lot of them are very commercial consumer based names like pepsico mcdonald's and philip morris uh, elsewhere transportation well, holiday leisure group carnival under three percent lower uh, american airlines and boeing also uh, losing quite a bit of ground 4.9 percent lower for the manufacturer uh, of um 787s and other uh airplanes in their fleet as well let's have a look at treasuries as well again the flight to safety um the 10-year paper 1.94 of course not that far away uh from the two percent level and what is very interesting here is you've got a dual fight going on now with central bankers thinking hang on a second we were getting primed for raising rates because of the inflationary pressures but of course if there is an economic effect uh, from uh, the events we're seeing geopolitical events and that's going to have an effect on the economy then do we need to be more measured but the problem is of course when you've got virtually a hundred dollar oil those inflationary pressures continue across the board so the delicate equation for central banks has just become a little bit tougher as well Asian markets ex Japan where we're seeing a holiday uh, public holiday in Japan we've got actually a resumption of the uptick uh, after some pretty hard days to the downside Shanghai composite seven tenths of one percent higher ASX 200 uh, again resource rich index there up six tenths of one percent we're seeing some very interesting numbers uh, out of Rio's uh, in the last hour or so uh, oil remains on the front foot. We've got uh, Christian Malik uh, from JP Morgan joining us a little bit later on as well. Uh, Brent did turn away from its highs of the session. We had a 99 handle at one point yesterday, uh, 96.84. So as you can see, unchanged on the session. Uh, WTI crude also coming uh, significantly lower than its highs uh, of the session, 94, 95 handle uh, we saw in the last 24 hours. Opening calls for European markets, again, steady as she goes. In fact, in the case of the DAX, a decent rebound uh, from the declines we saw yesterday as well. Uh, and it's very interesting that there is a measure of calm uh, across these indices, despite concerns about what the geopolitics means for the economics. But Jeff, I think we should uh, expand this and perhaps bring our guest in. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, interesting to look at the US futures as well at this point. Um, they have gone positive. So we've nudged a little bit higher here on the US futures. Uh, the print I'm looking at, about 138 points higher on the Dow. Uh, the S&P up 21 points and the NASDAQ up 95 points. So a little bit of calm uh, returning to the equity indices, it would seem. Let's get to Stuart Russell, CIO at Yieldex, primarily focused on the fixed income markets, of course. Stuart, good morning to you. And we do see Treasury yields steady at the moment, albeit with that 10-year yield now back at around 1.94 rather than starting with a 2. What do you think the action in the Treasury market is telling us, if anything, about the level of risk aversion we now have in markets around Russia-Ukraine? Sure. Well, good morning and, uh, and thanks for having me on. Um, the, the situation in, in uh, Russia and Ukraine is certainly a geopolitical risk that the markets have been bracing for. You've seen that in some of the flight to quality assets over the past couple of weeks. Gold has done quite well. The Swiss franc has done well. The yen has done well. And even the front end of the Treasury market has done well. So uh, it's our view that um, the Fed is, is well on their way towards uh, tightening monetary policy. The, they've, they've telegraphed that very well. We're going to get the first hike in the middle of March, and the market's gone on to price about 200 basis points of Fed hikes over the next uh, year and a half or so. So this is going on with a, a pretty volatile geopolitical background. But the most important thing is that the Fed is behind the curve in terms of fighting inflation, and that's their number one battle right now. Stuart, some of the data, though, is a little worrisome. I mean, the consumer confidence uh, February print suggests that maybe Americans are becoming a little weary of the higher prices they're having to pay at the moment, particularly uh, to fill up their cars. Um, Do you think that the Fed actually might take a meeting out just to contemplate what the twin impact of the current economic data and these geopolitical risks might actually be on economic activity. Yeah, it's a great point. And what we're seeing is, is a meaningful slowdown in growth. We had 5.5% growth roughly in 2021. First quarter in the U.S. is on target for about 1.5%. And as the year as a whole, something closer to 2.3%. So what we're seeing is an impact from higher oil prices, uh, the negative fiscal fiscal impulse that we have in the markets, uh, the, the fears of Fed tightening and, and higher oil prices. All of this is leading towards a reduction in consumer confidence and a reduction in consumption. So the Fed's going to be really threading a needle here as they try to raise rates to fight the number one uh, fear, which is that seven and a half percent inflation. Uh, but they'll be doing that into a slowing economy. And I think uh, you're noticing the volatility in the markets, as you mentioned, you know, quite volatile. The credit markets are volatile, emerging markets are volatile, equity markets. And that's because of, of the tightening that's going on globally while the economies are starting to slow. Uh, Stuart, very good morning to you. Uh, a lot of people are trying to find the bottom in a lot of index that way before this Russia crisis and Ukraine crisis were plummeting. You've got the Dow Transports, you've got the Russell 2K virtually uh, in bear market territory. You've got ARK trading at 63.39. You've got Meta uh, at 202 bucks, all bombed out as well. Is there any reason for people to buy any of these either indexes, these funds or these stocks at the moment? Um 
Yeah, first, there's certainly reasons for that. You know, some things have enough value right now where it makes sense to put some money to work. We actually think that in the fixed income market, there are some very interesting opportunities. As I said, there's there's 2% of higher yields priced into the front end of the U.S. curve over the next two years. And we think that investors who have cash sitting on the sidelines, it behooves them to extend out the curve a little bit and you could buy two-year high-quality corporate paper at 2%. Some things like emerging markets right now, emerging market local, we wouldn't advocate for buying uh, Russian or Ukrainian assets, but there are many emerging market currencies where their central banks have been tightening for well over a year. They've got much higher real rates than the US. You've seen their current account uh, deficits become surpluses. So there's valuation and diversification arguments for owning some emerging market local currencies. So we think net-net, yes, things are bombed out in the equity market and the fixed income market, and their pockets of value that makes sense right now to put together in a well-diversified portfolio. Stuart, can I ask you about European sovereigns at this stage? Because we've got a narrative in the past 24 hours now about an energy crisis that's playing out and the implications that could come for the likes of Germany and the core and beyond across Europe, that if we do see problems now with gas coming across the border from Russia, that we could see a big spike in energy that undermines the growth story, which then could have implications for the ECB that has reluctantly moved with other central banks and are refusing to rule out a rate hike for this year. Could we see a change in that psychology that uh, the ECB could be further out down the curve? Sovereigns may also then have to move south versus the very strong trade we've seen recently. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly possible. And in Europe is the epicenter of what's going on right now geopolitically. And like you said, they're really the last central bank to fall in line and, and get on this tightening phase. We think the European Central Bank really does want to get rates off zero, and they've made that fairly clear. They want to curtail some of the programs that are going on. But you know, we saw the German PPI number you know, annualized 25% that was released this week. Inflation pressures can you know, potentially go meaningfully higher with what's going on with gas prices and oil prices. And I think nothing is a certain right now. The market's pricing in a couple rate hikes from the ECB uh, mid-year towards the end of the year. But um, you, there, you could pencil them in, but not use a pen. I mean, and everything is on the table as far as changing dynamics from the monetary authorities right now. Yeah, it sounds like we're, we're watching for a very dynamic market at this stage. It's fascinating, isn't it? We get all these inflation reads and the market has moved very quickly to price in its assumption around rate hikes and then has also paid attention to the central banks. But now as we've got this crisis around Russia, Ukraine, it feels as though they're sitting back waiting for central banks to react before they put the trades on. It's kind of unusual pattern of behaviour, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And and we've, we've seen this before. I mean, it's unusual, but at the same time, uh, the, these events have come before where uh, geopolitical risks and uh, monetary authority uh, policy plans uh, really hit loggerheads. And we're, we might be at one right now. But that being said, you know, we feel fairly confident that the, the Fed, unless we saw a meaningful correction in, in uh, the U.S. growth uh, outlook, that the Fed is really fighting that inflation as their number one target and is going to try to push rates higher. Again, we don't think that 2% uh, that the market is priced in is set in stone and, and they could take meetings off. They could curtail uh, much sooner than that 2% level. I think it's interesting that over the last 40 years, every rate hike cycle has ended at a lower and lower peak, 20%, 10%, 8%, 5%. The last one was 2.5%. So this one could be 2%. It could be 1.5%. 
but it makes sense to uh, put some money to work, we think, in the front end of the U.S. market uh, on that basis. Oh, don't you love a world stuffed with debt that needs much lower rates? Um, Stuart, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. In fact, thank you so much for getting up in the middle of the night in Connecticut to join us. Uh, Good to see you. Stuart Russell, the CIO of YieldX. We'll catch up with you on another day, but we'll give you a chance to go back to bed now. Thank you. Uh, Let's uh, talk about Nord Stream 2. Coming up on the programme after weeks of silence, Germany's Olaf Scholz finally pulls the plug on Nord Stream 2 certification. We'll talk about what that means in just a few moments. And for more on that and everything else you need to know on the Russia-Ukraine crisis amid the market fallout, check out the Scorebox podcast available from all the usual places. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. Germany has ordered a freeze on the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline from Russia. The 11 billion euro pipeline now features as part of a series of Western measures to sanction Russia over its recognition of eastern Ukraine's breakaway regions. Nord Stream 2 has drawn criticism from across Europe and the US as it would bypass eastern Europe and deliver gas directly from Russia to Germany. Let's get out to Annette for more. Annette, the German Chancellor of Scholz was keeping his powder dry on sanctions over the weekend when quizzed by CNBC. Now as we take a look at uh, these measures, it seems like it would pack a, a fairly strong punch. Yes, exactly. It was actually a little bit of a surprise that this came so early um, and in the first round of sanction, because clearly that's one of the biggest sanctions, um, at least in the power sector, you can levy on Russia. So um, when we see what President Biden was saying is it looks a little bit that it also was triggered more or less from the states. Um, and Olaf Scholz, when back in uh, when he went to Washington, was as well um, saying that he's actually standing by his allies. So meaning not Stream 2 was a highly political um, pipeline project anyways, not laughed by the United States, as we all know. But this now, um, as as I was saying, this, this coming now uh, in the first round was actually a little bit of a surprise given Germany's reliance on Russian gas. More than 30% of our gas um, supply is coming from Russia. And of course, it's a vital threat now uh, already coming from the former president, Medvedev, who was saying that, um, well, gas prices could actually double from the current um, from the current price level. He just went to Twitter yesterday and was saying, mind you, um, prices can actually rise in reaction or in retaliation of stopping the Nord Stream 2 project. But perhaps we listen in of what Olaf Scholz had to say about why he came to that decision um, yesterday. I asked the Federal Ministry of Economics to withdraw the existing report on the analysis of the security of supply at the Federal Network Agency. This sounds technical, 
but it is the necessary administrative legal step to ensure that no certification of the pipeline can now take place. And without the certification, Nord Stream 2 cannot go into operation at all. So to be technically correct, what he has done is to freeze the approval process, which anyway was already halted by um, the Ministry of Economy in Germany. So the, it's a freezing of the approval process. It's technically not the complete end to the project, even though one could argue this is um, the same thing, um, given the political controversies around the Nord Stream 2 project. So for now, at least that's what the Kremlin is hoping. It's just a temporary suspension of the pro approval process, but it does look actually not so much. So if you look at commentaries coming out from the uh, German economy ministry, Robert Habeck, the uh, German economy minister, also stepped out yesterday and was saying that this project will never fly, given our higher reliance on Russian gas in the future, if that project were to be installed. So um, now, if you look at who is invested, it's interesting. It's not only Gazprom. We have also Shell, um, the Winter Shell, and also Uniper. We are going to talk to a little bit later during the show is invested in the pipeline. And of course, that will mean also burdens for those companies going forward, given the high uh, amount of money they invested in Nord Stream 2. Thank you very much indeed for that. Yeah, maybe uh, Olaf Scholz going hard on Nord Stream 2 earlier on. So it deflects criticism about the lack of military support for Ukraine, some commentators have been saying in the last 24 hours. Thank you, Annetta. Right, in addition to Germany's freeze on the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline, the EU outlined a first set of sanctions taking aim at 351 Russian parliamentarians who voted in favour of recognising separatist regions in Ukraine. The sanctions will also target 27 other individuals and institutions, as well as putting limits on Moscow's access to EU capital and financial markets. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen explained the group's thinking. The sanctions directly target individuals and companies involved in these actions. They target banks that finance the Russian military apparatus and const constitute and contribute to the destabilization of Ukraine. And we are also banning trade between the two breakaway regions and the European Union. Right, let's get more on the EU response uh, from Sylvia, who joins us from Paris. Sylvia, good morning. Good morning, Steve. Indeed, we got news yesterday that the EU is moving ahead with sanctions against Russia. That decision was initially taken by the European Foreign Affairs Ministers who gathered here in Paris. And it's important to note that this decision was taken unanimously. And this is important because earlier in the day, the word out as to whether Hungary would actually be signing up to this new package of sanctions. In the end, the 27 did come together, and that is an important step from a European perspective as well. But let's look at some of the detail from these sanctions. For instance, one of the main decisions from the foreign affairs ministers is indeed to ban the Russian state from accessing the uh, European capital markets. That is a move similar to the United States and to the United Kingdom as well. But all in all, when you compare the four steps that the EU took yesterday in terms of sanctions to Russia, they're actually bolder and they were taken quicker than when you compare what the EU did back in 2014 when we saw the illegal annexation of Crimea. 
So that is also an important one because critics do say that the EU could have gone further with this first package of sanctions. But indeed, when you compare it to what they did in the past, it is a bolder move. But nonetheless, Joseph Borrell, the US Foreign Affairs Chief, has signaled that the EU could indeed take bigger steps going forward if indeed there's further aggression from Russia. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.